we want to take a moment, just where you are at right now, if you've come with somebody, that's great. If you're here on your own, that's also great. But we want to just translate what we've been hearing today into our personal space. And so I want you to think, I'm going to give you a moment this year, and you might already know it, you might already shared it, but how you've looked back and seen God move in your life, especially on your behalf, and I want you to pray together, whether that you come as a family or on your own to pray to the Lord. And we're going to just translate this, this time to say, Lord, we're so thankful. So thankful. And even if uh, you're in a, a space at the moment where you're going, Eesh, God hasn't come through yet. Some of these guys, 18 months. How, how long was it, Lauren? Nine months or something? It was a bit longer. A year and a half. And God's kept them. God's come through. And uh, this morning, we really want to um, ask you to, to express your faith in the Lord that provides and is continuing to watch over us. And so, can we do that for just a moment? Um, let's close our eyes. I'm going to ask you and those watching today, just close your eyes for a moment and just think about since March last year, think about, I'm going to pray right now for the Holy Spirit to drop things into your heart that you're grateful for, that God's done for you. And uh, let's let our hearts wrap around those things this morning. Yes, Lord, as we're thinking about this last year, would you come right now by your Spirit? Would you remind us of your goodness in very specific moments? Come, Lord, we want to honor you for your track records this last year. So let's just take a moment. All right, so where you're at or with the people that you've come with, let's just take a couple of minutes to pray to the Lord, offer our prayers of thanksgiving, and uh, let's enjoy this moment together of remembering His goodness towards us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works for righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made, his known, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you his mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Amen. Laurie, do you want to come and pray for us, lead us into the Word? I've asked Laurie to uh, just commit this time to the Lord. How can we not rejoice this morning? Um, and I just wanted to share, but uh, I thought I'd have an opportunity, so I do, I'll do it now. But uh, Hosea is a special book uh, in the Bible for me. It really has significance. Uh, the Lord spoke to me once many years ago through it. And, and so I was so happy when the pre and fasting was around that. But just very quickly, there's a verse in chapter 2. Uh, Verse 13, it says, But me she forgot, declares the Lord. And uh, as I was going through it, I was thinking, Lord, uh, Lord, what are you telling me? And I thought back this last year, and perhaps um, I never went through major struggles. In fact, <laughs> I was so happy when I got two months off. And I got my salaries. I didn't feel much pain and suffering. But... I think, to be honest with you, I forgot the Lord. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he gave me that verse. And, um, and then listening to the testimonies, yeah, Lauren, she didn't forget. She didn't forget. Lindiwe, maybe you forgot, Mommy. You forgot to do what you were supposed to do. And uh, I think perhaps all of us, have forgotten a little bit about this God. And then there's a wonderful encounter. He took me to Exodus, a wonderful encounter between Moses and God. And uh, <laughs> Moses, even when God says to Moses, oh, I'm pleased with you, now you're in favor with me, blah, blah, blah. Moses says, well, show me your glory. <laughs> show me your glory. And God says to him, Prepare yourself. He says, be ready in the morning. And I was thinking this morning, if we don't know who God is and we don't prepare ourselves, we won't see his glory. And uh, that was a great challenge to me. So let us pray to this God of glory. <laughs> and we sang a song about it just now. Um, a living what? Living for the glory of the Lord or something. So, so Father, we come this morning just, you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are the great Jehovah. You created the heavens and the earth. And Father, we forget, man. In our sinful nature and our wayward ways, we forget. In the dark gloom of the, the world around us, we forget. When things get tough, we forget. When it's, uh, the odds are stacked against us, we forget. And this morning, Lord, we just want to ask for forgiveness, Lord. For those of us who have forgotten your great power, your great authority, your great love, your great ability to intervene <clears throat> even with matric results, to provide jobs and uh, to stand in the gap when people are retrenched. <laughs> we forget. But this, this morning, Lord, we want to declare 
you are sovereign over everything. And so this morning, we just give you great things. We must remember the benefits of knowing you. We must remember every day your blessing and provision. The fact that we wake up, we must remember that it comes, it's a gift and a blessing from you. So, Father, we are so grateful this morning for you, who you are and what you're doing. Thank you that uh, you spoke to Moses and you told him that you are a God of compassion and a God that's slow to anger. And then uh, you provide Jesus to die in our place and to take your anger and to shed his blood so that we may live. And so we just give you thanks for that, Lord. Be with Maddie as he brings a word. Lord, it's not easy to stand here and proclaim uh, the good news to the folk. But I pray a filling of your spirit this morning, that uh, there will be an outpouring of your spirit as we hear the word this morning. And that, Father, that our lives will be changed and that we may go from this place living a life that glorifies you and seeing the glory of Jesus in what we say and what we do. So just bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. This mask isn't you distracting here. It's the trick of trying to get the mic and the mask and the together. <laughs> but this morning we are wrapping up chapter 2 of, of Second Peter. So won't you turn there in your Bibles if you got them or on your phones. Uh, it's 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from verse 14 to 22 this morning. And um, we're going to be wrapping up this very colorful, very um, unique part of Scripture, which I hope has been a blessing to you as it's been to me. All right, so I'm going to be reading from verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14 of chapter 2 of Second Peter. All right. They have eyes, he's talking about false teachers here, this is Peter writing to his flocks. He says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls, they have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. I want to remind you today what Peter is wanting to do through this second uh, epistle, his second letter to these churches in Turkey, is he's wanting to help us and them live a life for Jesus. And uh, he's about to be crucified upside down. The Emperor Nero is about to unleash his persecution on the church. And uh, he loves these guys. He's fatherly towards them. He's been their pastor and apostle for many, many years. And he wants them to see them running their race well. Friends, we've got a, ra a race to run on this, this side of the grave. And no one here lacks purpose. We all are here to live for Jesus. And Peter, in his experience, we're getting the best of his decades of ministry here. He's saying, well, there's certain things that are going to trip you up along the way, and you need to have your eyes and ears open to you. And he goes through all of this, and by the time he gets to chapter 2, he gets to this very painful topic of false teaching, which is starting to come into the churches that he's overseeing. And he does it for a reason. 
I, uh, I feel a little bit uh, sheepish this morning talking about this chapter, and we're talking about testimonies of God's goodness, and here we're talking about false teaching, how this is all being brought together this morning. In the back of my mind, I would have liked to have preached on Psalm 103 or something else, but, but I'm realizing Peter's wisdom in dealing with this difficult topic because he knows that there's sometimes, as a parent with your kids, right, you have to have some difficult conversations, not so? Sometimes it's not all candy floss and sweets and uh, positive charts that you get your little ticks on and you give them at the end of the week, they're they're sweets for being so good. Sometimes you have a heart-to-heart about things that are tough in order that they might continue in the way that's best for them and enjoy life. And what we see is false teaching ultimately robs the Christian of the joy of Jesus. And this morning... We're just going to carry on. I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to try to finish super quick this morning. It's something that I don't do very well, but uh, I'm going to quickly uh, wrap up this, this second chapter. But I'm just continuing with last week. When, when Peter goes into these details of these false teachers, he's helping us. Because when we've been in lockdown, we've been watching loads of stuff online. There's all sorts of things that we're exposed to. It's a part of our life as 21st century Christians. And the wisdom of the Word of God still stands today. And so when you're watching something and when you're listening to something that's coming through the airwaves or through the media waves, how do we examine it? Because as Christians, we are to be discerning people. There's a lot of voices out there, right? And we learned a few ways last week. The first was... You examine the logical outworking of this message. You ask some questions and you say, well, what does this actually mean? If I had to examine and work it out in my life, and we saw last week that if we're going to live like these second Peter false teachers were telling us to, we'd be no better than animals. They were saying the way that you live is you just live by your feeling. If you want to discover who you are, you, you live by how you feel. And he says, that's crazy. That's how an animal lives. They live by in the moment going, oh, I feel like doing this. I feel like doing that. An animal lives like that. It's not going to lead you into the dignified life God has designed for you as a thinking, upright human being made in the image of God. The other thing is you examine this teacher's behavior. Very important. I I decided this week to do some YouTubing. To go, okay, well, what's out there? You know, like for the first, I'm quite uh, conservative in my, but uh, well, I'll tell a few stories of my encounters. But I thought, well, let's just see what's out there, you know. And you watch, you watch the person's behavior, you watch their lifestyle, and particularly how do they handle sin. If they never talk about sin, if they've got an attitude of sin doesn't really matter, then you must be very alert because, friends, at the heart of the Christian message, we say the problem with our relationship with God is not our low self-esteem, it's not the lack of money we have in the bank, it's not the lack of opportunities to achieve our dreams. What's fundamentally at the root of our problem with God is sin. And what's at the heart of the Christian message is, what is God's remedy for sin? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the cross. And so that's how you examine this person's behavior, is what is their attitude to sin and how are they coming across? And particularly we learned the next point was the teacher's ego. What atmosphere do they create around them? They say, yeah, that Peter says these false teachers despised authority. And then he also said, well, we have to go on not just to examine the teacher, but we ought to examine ourselves. Different false teaching catches us in different ways because we're different in personality. We're different in the way that we're wired. And we ought to know ourselves. And so I encourage you to listen to last week's sermon, but I, I tell you all that because we're not finished yet. Peter goes on to say the next thing we must examine is the false teacher or a teacher's relationship to money. This is a massive thing. I want to read from verse 14 this morning where it says, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. That's what Peter says. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Here we get to the real deal of why false teaching actually exists. Is that false teachers, 99% of the time, go through all their effort because their heart is after one thing, and it is cash. 
having hearts trained in greed. Whenever the Bible talks about the heart, they say, well, this is the thing that motivates the person in them, what, what they're going after. And Peter says, these false teachers are like the quintessential example in Scripture, which is Balaam, who is the, 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 the foil. He is the example about all these false prophets and teachers that have followed in his wake. They do it because they are motivated by one thing, and that's cash. And that's why Peter says we ought to examine a teacher's relationship to money. And let's be honest this morning, and I say this, it's happened to my own family. It's one of the biggest reasons why so many people want nothing to do with the Christian faith. It's because of these money-hungry ministries that have turned the gospel into, how can I get rich? Not so. It's painful. It's damaging. And Peter says, because of them, the way of truth will be blessed me. Because of their greed... The name of the Christian church and Christ himself is brought into disrepute. And what I love about this, the way Peter writes, he's got a, quite a colorful way about him. I think he would have been a very good author. But he says, these guys are masters at getting your cash. They're experts. And he says this. He says they are trained. And in the Greek word of that is they are exercising. They've literally done their program on how to extort the cash from your wallets. They're brilliant. And it says their hearts, they see the gap wherever it is to get the cash that's in your hand. They are experts. And their weapon is their clever language. They're brilliant. Oh, this week I had a few brilliant moments. I was even ready to start depositing money after listening to this wine guy. I mean, he had me around his little finger. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. They are brilliant, and they, they use language. And that's why verse 3 of chapter 2 says they will exploit you in their greed with false words. And the reason why they're so good is because they have learned the gospel. These guys know a lot about the Christian faith. Remember, they're not standing outside the church and saying, look at me, look at me, I want you to come and give your cash. I'm not associating with the church. No, no. What these guys are doing is they're creeping in secretly, verse 1 of chapter 2 tells us, and they're trying to get into the church. And the way they get into the church is they wrap up their language with their Christian knees. They're so good. And what, what, when, what you listen to them, they sound so familiar. Yet, when you actually apply it to its logical conclusion, it's vastly different to what the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to. But they're smart. They are not saved themselves. They don't believe it themselves because Balaam, we'll see, didn't believe it. But they know how to use it. That's the point. And we're going to quickly give you, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of Balaam this morning. And my two other points are much quicker than this one. But Balaam was an interesting guy, and if you want to read about him, it's a fascinating story in Numbers 22 to 24. He's a guy that lives in southern Mesopotamia in a, in a place called Pethor, and he had a weird gift. I'll, it was a strange thing. He could have this gift of oracles. And he was able to have these oracles brought to him about blessing or curse. But it's a weird thing. He, he knew about this Yahweh, the God of, of Israel, the God of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. He knew about him. And he had this unusual gift or knowledge that the Bible kind of frowns upon. The Bible talks about his gift as being divination. It wasn't orthodox. And uh, this weird ability for him to kind of know the future, what's going to happen, it, it was a weird twisted sort of divination. And this isn't new. I knew a lady, I almost said her name. <laughs> okay, you don't know her, but I'm so worried that one of my family members are going to watch this thing, you know, years down the line, and I'm going to get into trouble. But not in my family, thankfully. But she was a remarkable lady. She had an ability to know if you were going to die imminently. I met her late in life. And from a young girl, one of the family members got into a motorbike, I think it was a family member or friend, and she ran to mother. She had a, an oracle, she had a, a gift of knowledge that he was going to come off that bike, and he did, and he died. And she said, don't send him, he's going to die, and he died. It happened so many times, she was the kind of person you didn't want to know in case she told you what was going to happen in the future, right? And she came from Methodism. She, her mother was a strong Methodist. She knew about this God of the Bible, but when pressed, I remember her telling me about when the bishop, the Methodist bishop came to her and uh, pressed, why aren't you going to church anymore? Where are you in your faith? Your mother would have been so disappointed. She didn't believe the, the gospel. She believed in God, but didn't believe in, in the Bible. Yet she had this ability, it's rather scary, to, to know frequently when a person was going to die. 
And the thing about it was this, she couldn't turn it on and she couldn't turn it off. It just happened. And that's how Balaam is in this story. He has this ability to have these oracles and he can't turn them on or off. And in the end, they have a powerful accuracy for the future. And so we get the story of King Balak, who's king of Moab, and he's in trouble because the Israelites have rocked up on his doorstep and they've just wiped out his next door neighbor, the kingdom of Ammon. And Balak, Balak knows, listen, Moab is a tiny nation. These Israelites are going to wipe me out. I need divine favor. So he goes, there's only one person who can guarantee me divine favor in this world. It's Balaam. And he sends cash and he sends princes to go to Balaam and say, hey, we need the price of divination. I want you to curse Israel so that we can defeat them in battle and get rid of this danger on our doorstep. And they go to Balaam. It's fascinating. You read the story. And they offer all this cash and Balaam goes, whoo. Let me go to God. I, I can't turn this on. I can't turn this off. Let me go and ask God about what he's going to do. So he goes and he asks God, shall I curse Israel? And God, this Yahweh God speaks to him clearly. He says, don't you go and curse these people. They are blessed. They are mine. And Balaam goes to the princes with the cash and says, guys, I'm so sorry. But uh, God says, no, I can't do it. He's not going to turn on the curse. <laughs> Off they go. Balak says, no, 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 let's up the ante. They increase the cash. And he, they send more prestigious princes. And there's Balaam. He come, they come again on his doorstep, and he sees more money. And he goes, oh, let me just try one more time with God. So he goes to God. He says, God, is there any way I could go with them? And God gets angry because this is the point. Balaam knows his will. He knows God's message, and yet he tries because of the cash, because of the money. He wants to try and get that message twisted so he can get his hand on the gold. And he goes, and God says, okay, go, but do what I tell you to do. And God tests him, and he goes, and God gets angry because this guy knew. He knew what God's message was, and he goes off, and the donkey that he's on, it's the closest I've ever gotten to calling something a dumb ass, but correctly in, a, in, in the Bible. You know, you, he's on this, he calls it, and, he, and then suddenly this, this, this donkey who can't speak sees this angel, and this angel blocks Balaam's path, and three times he beats this poor creature, and the, eventually the, the donkey just drops on the ground, and suddenly this donkey speaks out loud. I don't know what it sounded like, but it was a human voice. And it shows how out of touch... Balaam is with God that even a, well, not a dumb donkey could speak. Could sp a donkey could speak. The stupid creature with a low intellect could see that he was on a path of distraction. And even Balaam did not understand or see the displeasure of God. And the delusion of Balaam is he continues to go forward after the angel. He carries on. It's the most crazy thing. And eventually, Balak says, oh, well done. Come, let's curse him. And, and Balak, Balaam tries three times to curse Israel. Every time, God turns it into a blessing. And he keeps trying because Balak starts, keeps offering him more money. And this is the example today. Friends, these false teachers that are after cash go so far in wrongdoing against God's message in order to gain wealth. That's what Balaam was doing. He was willing to go and even curse the people of God. He wasn't saved. He knew about Yahweh. He knew how Yahweh works, but it wasn't enough to convert him because there, there is Balaam. God has told him, these are my blessed people. Did Balaam go and join them? No. Did he enter into the covenants of Israel? No. He actually sought their destruction and harm so he could get his hand on the cash. Now, Friends, this is how false teachers work. They use God's message. Balaam had God's message. It was, no, don't do this. But he twisted it all the time so that he could make money. That's what he did. Even leading people into sin to get it. And that's how the gospel is twisted. These false teachers, they will twist the gospel for their own ends. The Judaizers, an example in Scripture, they'll say, you believe the gospel so that you're under the law. Or the prosperity guys will say, you believe the gospel so that you can get your money. Or even here, we see that these Second Peter uh, teachers were saying, believe the gospel so that you don't have to feel guilty about living in sin. 
they twist it. They twist it. And Paul warns about this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What's my point this morning? Is if you feel this man or woman is preaching more to your wallet than to you, you get out as fast as you can, okay? If you feel that every time to get the next blessing of God, you have to open up your wallet to do so, you get out. <laughs> These guys are after one thing. Even, I want to say it's as heartbreaking, but, but we need to be aware of what's going on out there. Even things more radical, they will tell you you need to sell your property or put your life savings or your pension into a central church fund. That's how the cults work. Once they have your money, they have you. And so we must observe these teachers. What is their relationship to money? Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is their image that they are portraying? What's, what is their priorities in their life? How do they present themselves to you? You know what Paul says to the preacher, to me, today? And he says, buddy, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, the, we will be content. Isn't that incredible? And this morning, church, I want to remind you that the true gospel of Jesus makes us look like the one it proclaims, Jesus. If we follow the true gospel, we start to look like Jesus. And so did Jesus have any sin in his life? Was he sinless? Can you just give me a nod that you're still there? I got masks. All I see is half a face, all right? If we're going to follow the true gospel, it will never let us stay in sin, amen? These false teachers were wrong in Second Peter. Did Jesus walk around with the latest chariot and say, this is my, my Caesar Galbana, Galbana you know, cloak and it's all purple. And the truth of being a Christian is that you have oodable wealth and everybody admired his lifestyle and the blessing of God on him. Is that how Jesus lived? You know how he died, friends, today? We must think about these things. You know how he died? He died with a little, I don't even know if he had any clothes left. I think he died naked on the cross. That's right. He didn't even have a stitch of clothing left. What was left was gambled for by these Roman soldiers. Isn't that fascinating? How about this? Did Jesus present this persona that everybody walked around him with a sense of hero worship? When he came on the scene, it was like, yeah, man, I'm the man. I'm arrived. Let me get you your McDonald's. Let me get you your Wimpy. Let me get you your whatever it is. Grazie's meal voucher. It's all on me. Actually, he did once. He fed 5,000. But what did he feed them with? Was it, was it caviar? Was it, was, it, was it roast chicken? It was five loaves and two fish. Doesn't that say something to us today, friends? Jesus walked with such humility, such simplicity, such servant-hearted. I was watching one guy this week. Please don't do this. I'm just saying that I didn't want to be a kind of person that's just preaching from the sidelines. I wanted to know what's out there. I mean, the one guy's talking like this. He's, he, 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 he's getting very riled up. Then he just says, someone, give me water. We all go, oh my goodness, everybody's like, who's going to go run for them? And this, this poor person comes and he runs with this bottle, gives this bottle, grabs, he says, we're going to be here all night. And I thought to myself, just that atmosphere around him, that is not Christ, my friend. And I, you can, I'm not saying that this, this can happen to me. Let me tell you, if it is the true gospel, it produces the true fruit, and we must examine these things. And that's why it's so important to read your Bible. Peter's teaching us by going back to Balaam, by using the three examples of judgment. He knows his Bible. He's a fisherman. He's brilliant at it. And he's, as he's reading and as he's learning about Jesus, and as he walked with Jesus, he got to know what Jesus was like. And that's how we must examine these men and women. Are they like the Jesus of the Gospels? But if you don't read, you don't know how you're going to examine and judge. Ah, let's move on quickly. The second point is this, is that these false teachers' message leads to disillusionment. This is why it matters, church. And again, this is what, why it matters to you, that you believe the truth. Because Peter says, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For then the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. This is 
verse 17 to 19, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Brilliant picture. First is Balaam, the second is waterless springs and mists. Do you know what he's talking about when he uses these examples? It's false promises. How do these guys get our attention? Because they're offering something which is almost better than this world. Guarantees of things that are outside of the gospel. And it's like this. When you follow their teaching, it's like coming to a spring that looks lovely and, 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 and water. When you come to actually drink from that teaching, it's dry. It's like a mist. It's this beautiful cloud. It's a cloud, but it, there's never any rain. It blows away, and it is the same for these false teachers. Can I tell you, the Greek again here is brilliant. It says these guys use immoderate words, speaking loud boasts of folly. It is immoderate words of vanity. The characteristic of false teaching is immoderation. I'll give you an example. It is them claiming something on their own authority, which is immoderate. It overshoots what is allowed in Scripture. And I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. So I'm, I'm on YouTube, right? And I'm watching, I'm looking, and I, and I, and I come across the classic holy oil, the, 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 the selling of holy oil. Any of you ever come across any adverts for holy oil or on TV? Anybody? You just give me a nod. Okay, all right. So this guy, it was brilliant. He picks up this bottle. It's this golden bottle. I mean, it looks like something from another world. And he holds it up, and suddenly the strings start to play. And, and the music starts, and he changes his tone of voice. Of course, the number's there to call so that you buy the thing, you know. But there he starts, and he starts to say, we're just going to pray in the Spirit a little bit. He prays in tongues, and he goes, this is holy oil. It's anointing oil. He says, don't you know that what the meaning of holy is? It's wholeness. It's healing. And as you anoint yourself with this, you're going to experience healing. As he's doing, I'm getting a bit emotional. I, have, oh, I need some inner healing. COVID's been really difficult. As he's starting to, and the way it is, I mean, it was brilliant. But he starts to make these claims, like another guy that I watched, Marina is never going to use that oil. It is miraculous conception and multiplication. I, 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 I said, this guy, he said, <laughs> just, it was crazy. And these are two churches. Hey? These are packed auditoriums. This is not, this is not a YouTube infomercial. It's not saying, welcome to today's latest you know, anointing oil. This guy was going and saying, ladies, miraculous conception and multiplication. It's not going to just be one baby, two baby. No, no, it's going to be millions of babies coming out. And you're just going, nobody wants that anointing right now in COVID, brother. But you see, they're immoderate. They overshoot the mark. And it's on their own. I declare it will be on their own authority. They know the word of God's not authorizing in and of itself, but they are going over and above what is legitimately allowed. And it is immoderate. It is boasting. It is a kind of vanity that's happening because of their overshooting the mark for ego. Then they want you to buy their product. That's the main thing. Uh, you know, being on church for all these years, I wondered who the poor sorry intern was. You had to pack the 5,000 little anointing bottles on the stage. And these guys, it's not that you can go and use your anointing bottle in your cupboards. You know, you can't go get the oil in the shop and use it. No, no, it has to be their specific oil that brings the blessing. It's immoderate. It's, it's, it's wrong. And the thing that I want to make the point of today is that if you read your Bible, you will know that the Bible is a supremely balanced book. It's amazing. It's so... It's, it's moderate in the truth. It's profound. But as you read your Bible, it will not constantly be talking to your wallet. It will not be constantly talking to your self-esteem. It will not be constantly talking to uh, the new, better you. No, no, no. It, won't be, it, won't, it, it is so balanced. It's so beautiful. And a man or woman who seeks to give the message of the Bible is a perfectly poised and moderate and balanced person in the truth. No, these guys were making crazy things. These second Peter false teachers, they were making outrageous promises of freedom. But we saw, it, as Peter points out in verse 9, it just leads to corruption. It leads to captivity. If you're going to follow your feelings, my friend, that's how you're going to live your life. You're going to be no better than an animal. 
The highest authority in your life is God, and He's a thinking God. He's a communicating God, and you're a thinking person. And the greatest freedom on earth is to experience self-control. And lastly, it's this. It is the danger of reformation without conversion. And today I want to point out to you, there was a group of people in the church. And I make this comment because there might be someone listening today or sitting here who is sitting on the fence of the church. There were a kind of people that these false teachers were particularly successful with. And it comes to in our last verse today, in verse 20 and 22. It says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Powerful words, wrapping up this chapter 2. What Peter is doing here, he's using his language very carefully. He's not talking to Christians here. When you listen to Peter, whenever he talks about Christians, he talks about you and us. May the grace of God be multiplied to you. And he says, we, it's, he goes on to say, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, or us, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. He never talks about they or them when he's talking about the born-again believer. But he's talking about the false teachers he uses they and them, and many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. These false teachers don't have faith in Jesus Christ. Like Balaam, they're twisting the gospel. They don't believe it personally, but they're using it for their own gain. And there's a group of people that are listening to them that aren't born again yet, but they've come into the church. And they've fixed up their lives a little bit. That's what Peter says. They've been rescued from defilement. They, they understand if I'm going to be a part of this church, I've got to live a certain way in order so that I don't stick out. And they're interested. They're interested about the gospel. Inter they might be interested in a, in a future wife or getting a job opportunity. There's lots of reasons to come into the church. But the point is this, is they've heard the apostolic gospel being preached. That's what Peter says, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. The holy commandment is the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, it says, now God commands everyone everywhere to repent. And this is the fascinating thing. This interested group, not converted yet, but interested. Hear another gospel in the false teachers. And when they make the assessment of going, the gospel of Christ calls for self-denial. Gives you eternal life, yes, but calls for self-denial that you might find life. But then you've got these second Peter te uh, false teachers saying, you don't have to change. Believe in Jesus and live in your sin. Which one are these guys going to choose? The, the harder way or the easy way? The way that leads to life, yes, or the way that leads to false promise life, which is the second Peter teaches. And what happens is they believe the false gospel. And if you had to ask me, friends, the area of the church that gets decimated are Christians who are either very, very immature in their faith or those that are in the church but not quite yet converted. They have not yet to come to saving faith. They've reformed a bit, but they have not become partakers of the divine nature yet. And Peter points it out. He says, like a dog who goes back to its vomit because it's still a dog, are this group in the churches that have come in, they've interested in the apostolic gospel, heard this other false gospel, and they've gone back to the vomit because they still have a doggy nature. They have not become partakers of the divine nature yet, as he talks about the Christian in chapter 1. They're on their outskirts. They know they have to change their life a little bit in order to be a part of this thing, but they haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, they're still the same. It's like a, a little piggy sow. She's washed herself but she goes back to the mud because she still has a piggy nature. They choose to go down the second Peter false teacher's gospel because it appeals to their fallen nature, which hasn't changed yet because they haven't come to faith in Christ. And I want to say to you today, what Paul is, Peter is talking about here is very important, and I want to land with it. It's friends this morning. Where are you in this faith with Jesus? Why are you here this morning? It's wonderful to have you. But I want to ask you, are you able in your life to look back and say, if you are to stand before God tonight, 
Let's say, God forbid you die, and God is to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What will your answer be if you say to me, because I'm a good person, I'm a good dad, I'm a good father, I'm a good husband, I'm a good work ethic person, I'm, I, I look after my friends. Friends, that is reformation. If you are saying it's because I'm good enough, it means that you've tried to fix your life out to the point that God's going to receive you. That's exactly where these people were in Second Peter, that were interested in the gospel of Jesus, kind of, but were so susceptible to a false teaching because they had not yet converted what they heard from the apostles into faith. And if that is your answer today, well, it's because I'm good enough. You are just trusting in reformation, in changing behavior, and friends, it is not good enough. And why are we here as a church this morning? It's to tell you the truth. And the truth is this. No man can enter into that kingdom unless you can look upon Christ and say to that God who is the Father of all things, the God of glory, when he asks you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Is that you can say one thing. It is Christ alone. My hope is found in him. He alone is my rescue. He's only my confidence. All of my hope is in him. Unless you can look at the cross and say, there is my hope. My friends, you're not saved. I don't care how long you've been a part of church, how much you've been even catechized and even baptized. There are all sorts of things that you can do to fill a part of this community and reform yourself. What I'm asking you this morning is where do you stand with Jesus? Because in the end, my friend, only faith in Christ is what saves. Amen. Doesn't matter how young you are this morning. It's a question you're going to ask, be asked. And friends, the true gospel says this, is we are only saved through one man, through his work, through his death and resurrection. It's Jesus Christ. And where are you this morning? Are you sitting as an interested group, always on the outskirts, always kind of half foot in, but half foot out? No, no, this morning is only salvation happens when you come to Christ and you say, you are the way, you are the truth. You are the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, through him, through Jesus. Now, why do I take this seriously this morning? Because, friends, walking away from 2 Peter chapter 2, what must you walk away with? Is that truth must be taken seriously. It's not a lackadaisical thing where we just sort of pick up and play with and put down and thinking it's always going to be there when we come back to it. Do you know what Jesus said? The reason why the state of falling into false teaching for these interested groups was worse than it was before because there's a spiritual principle at work. And I want you to walk away from 2 Peter chapter 2 with this in your mind. That Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 verse 48, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. When God comes and shows you truth, it is the greatest blessing that God can give you. You don't understand this by nature of your natural mind. My reading this week was Paul saying in Corinthians, he's saying, to those who are spiritual, they can interpret spiritual truths. It's by the gift of the Spirit. If you are here today, you're not yet converted, but you can see Christ is the way. My friend, you will not always see it that way because this is how it works. If you don't respond to the truth, and you harden your hearts, as Hebrews 3.15 says, today, if, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you are disobedient to the truth for a period of time, there's a hardening that happens. And it becomes harder and harder to respond to what was so clear to you at the beginning. This can happen to a Christian. This can also happen to somebody who's on the outskirts of faith. Jesus said this, For to the one who has, more will be given. The one who has the truth and applies it to their lives, more truth comes so that he or she might have an abundance, it says. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Even the truth that is revealed to them. God's word saying, hey, this is me coming to you in my grace and mercy today. I'm reminding you of what the truth is. If you don't obey it, if you don't lay hold of it, over a period of time, what felt so clear, what felt so vivid, what felt so real, what felt so prophetic in that moment, becomes less and less and less. And friends, the state 
of a person who ignores and disobeys the truth repeatedly is worse than the first because in the beginning there was still a softness and tenderness to be reachable by God. But the one who is careless and refuses to bow the knee of obedience to faith over a period of time, God is so gracious, he's so merciful, but Jesus is saying, don't depend on that lasting forever, my friend. Truth is a gift, and for the Christian to lay hold of it with their whole heart and say, God is speaking to me. God is ministering to me. It's the greatest thing that can happen to me is to get to know God. Amen? The dignity of the God of heaven coming to your life and saying, I'm so interested in you. I want to speak to you. I want to tell you about life and about things to come, about the person next to you. I want you to come into relationship with me. I'm going to speak to you through preaching, through reading, through prayer, through people. I'm going to speak to you. The greatest thing that can happen to the Christian is to hear the voice of God. Don't take it lightly, friends. Peter's appealing to these men and women. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away what God has said to you. When last has he spoken to you and have you done it? That's the point. We're not here just to full rooms. We have to seek the kingdom. And the most glorious thing in heaven is for God to come to your life personally and say, this is what I want you to see and know. And this is what I want you to do. It's powerful. It's wonderful. It's precious. But today, friends, the same is true for the one sitting on the fence this morning. One of the saddest things is to take for granted the opportunity to respond, and then it's too late. Cares of this world come in, riches come in, pleasures come in, and what the seed, the word that it planted that was so there, you could see so clearly, don't assume it's going to be around forever because these things choke it out. And I'm appealing to you this morning from God's word. There is something better for you, greater than what any other interest of this world can give you. His name is Jesus. He's a life changer. He's an eternity giver. He's a God who is so gracious and merciful. Doesn't matter what you've done this morning. Doesn't matter what the excuse is. There can be no excuse before this God of love who has invited the world to come and have eternal life in his son. And so, friends, will you lay hold of it today? It's only the truth that sets you free. Will you take that truth seriously in your life? Will you count it the greatest privilege when God speaks to you, Christian? You say, wow, yes, Lord, how precious to me are your thoughts. To the one here who knows when you press, you're not quite a believer in Christ. Will you change that today? Will you see the glory of what's being offered you in Jesus? And would you lay hold of him? And so I do it. It's very simple. You say, Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, the life to me. Let that be your testimony today. We'd love to. That's happened to you this morning. Please come share it. We want to see souls come to faith. We don't want to forget God. We don't want to forget who he is. So let's stand together.